0: This week on Moms Moving On.
1: That's really the key is realizing to take a different approach, not just telling them you have to change and do things differently, but adjusting and adapting what you do.
0: That's yes. the key. Life moves on, so why shouldn't we? This is Michelle Dempsey-Moltak, your host of Moms Moving On, navigating divorce, co-parenting, single motherhood, and moving on. Today is an exciting day, my friends. We usually have repeat offenders, but today we have the trifecta of all great podcast guests. We have Bill Eddy, licensed clinical social worker and attorney, the founder of the High Conflict Institute and chief innovation officer of the High Conflict Institute. He pioneered the high conflict personality theory and has become an expert on managing disputes involving people with high conflict personalities. He's been on the podcast twice before to help us talk about divorcing somebody who is a narcissist and helping find your stride after divorce with somebody uh, who has a little bit of a tough personality. But today, instead of labeling people, we're going to be talking to Bill about how to co-parent effectively with somebody who makes your life difficult. Of all his 14 books, um, which I I think are all helpful in their own ways, we're going to bring up a few that you may probably have heard before from me, but that are really important in your journey towards co-parenting with someone who has a high conflict personality. Bill, thank you so much for being back and making this a perfect trifecta. Thank you, Michelle.
1: Glad to be back with
0: you. Like I was telling you off camera, I was listening to one of your podcasts on the Brilliant Minds podcast from a few years ago on, on a car ride home the other day, because I'm always striving to understand more about human behavior and how we can stay in our lane and maintain our own sanity when we're dealing with somebody who can't help their own behavior. And for a lot of people, a lot of my clients and a lot of our listeners, they're just at their wits end dealing with what we call a high conflict personality. Can you speak to a little bit about what you do and and why you founded the High Conflict Institute?
1: Yeah. So after being a therapist for 12 years, I became a family lawyer because I wanted to help people in divorce and other legal disputes, try to resolve things out of court. In the process of becoming a family lawyer, I realized I can be helpful in court, but most I wanted to do out of court mediation. And I started noticing, you know, the difference between my mediation cases and my court cases wasn't the issues, it was the personalities. I could in you know in a month or two resolve a whole divorce in mediation with reasonable parents reasonable people and I it took more than a two or three years in family court to resolve divorces and it seemed that the people that won or both. About half of cases it was one high-conflict personality and the other half had two high-conflict personalities. I'll be honest about that. But hopefully your listeners are the reasonable person dealing with the high-conflict personality. And I started noticing patterns and things to do and things not to do. And basically it's a real reversal of our thinking of how to deal with reasonable people when you're dealing with a high conflict personality,
0: absolutely. And I found that in dealing with high conflict people, we are—if we allow ourselves to be emotionally pulled under and triggered, and aren't prepared for how to deal with them—we become high conflict too. It's—it's it's not hard. Even if we're not high conflict people outside of this relationship, it's really hard to not be high conflict. And—and and that's where I help my clients realize we can't both be, you know, throwing gasoline on the fire because how does that help the child get out of the burning building, you know? And so if we can tell everybody that there's no way to change this person and here's how you can deal with them so that you don't get sucked in also to this train wreck, I I think we're doing a good job, right?
1: Absolutely. And that's really the key is realizing to take a different approach, not just telling them you have to change and do things differently, but adjusting and adapting what you do. That's the key. And and I like to say, the secret to managing a high conflict personality is managing your own anxiety. If you can keep yourself calm, you're gonna do reasonable things. And actually it does lower the conflict in, in most cases but people get frazzled and they they lose track of managing themselves so that's the key.
0: Well and that's what's so unfair for people who are dealing with someone who's high conflict is you know people are at their most high conflict I think in the beginning of the divorce process. You separate, tensions are high, and while tensions are high, really important decisions have to be made for the children, for everybody's financial futures, and so it's like this this big conglomeration of all things painful now thrown into this fire of pain and resentment and anger and it's hard not to be sucked in so i i myself struggled with it a lot but it's it's almost like telling you know the the more rational person of the two you can't worry right now you have to just put all this you know this pain and anger aside if you want to get through this alive but you really don't have an option do you
1: no, because if you're dealing with a high conflict person, you really can make things worse and worse and worse. And that's when we get the two and three and five and 10 year divorces that I've been part of in family court. And it's it's so sad because a lot of it could have been nipped in the bud. And as you said, the early stages are the hardest because you're really setting the tone For what happens, the people around you, what they think, and if you're in court, what the judge thinks, the lawyers, mediators, and all of that. So as early as possible, you want to learn how to separate dealing with your ex or ex-to-be from getting your needs met emotionally, which you need mm-hmm. to do with other people. And you do mm-hmm. need that. You need that support. Mm-hmm. But have other people for that. Don't keep trying to get it from the person that can't give it to you.
0: Right. And I and I think that that's a, an important message because what we forget is if this person could give us that validation and see things the way that we did, we'd probably still be together, right? Like, right call me crazy but that that was probably the big the big tipping point in the relationship there so where do you see people run into the biggest challenges when they're co-parenting with a high conflict person
1: well there's there's what we call the four forget-abouts and this is a good place to start with what not to do and you've already made a good point about not trying to change the other person but even beyond that is the four forget-abouts first one is Forget about trying to give them insight into their own behavior. And that's so tempting. And I admit, as, as a lawyer and mediator and therapist, I've tried to do that a lot. And with high conflict people, you'd say, Here's an, this will help you so much. Here's some constructive suggestions. And after I'm done, they say, Bill, why don't you like me? They don't get it. They don't get the insight you want them to get, and it actually creates more tension between you. So, you know, if you say, well, if you just stop doing that thing to them, they're going to get defensive rather than stopping doing that thing. And so if they're a high conflict person, they lack the self-reflection that you need for insight. And reasonable people self-reflect a lot. They say, oops, why did I do that? oh, I better not do that again. And that is healthy, actually. So not trying to give them insight. Second is don't have emotional confrontations. If you're not able to restrain your emotional confrontation, put it off before you talk to them next, because they can do emotions higher and higher. That's Mm -hmm. one of the key characteristics of high conflict people is they're more emotion-driven than logic driven. So if you get emotional, you put them into their emotions, they're not gonna be able to bring themselves back. You might be able to calm yourself down, but they might not. So avoid focusing on on how things feel and and avoid yelling at them. Also, if you can avoid bursting into tears in front of them because I've had mediation cases where It was high conflict for the surprising reason of one person couldn't control their tears. And that really irritated the other person. They got angrier and angrier as the person with tears got more and more tearful. And so you want to just be reasonable, matter of fact, calm if you can. And the third is to avoid focusing on the past. The past is a losing battle, a losing argument. If you say, that's not how it happened. Oh, my you God. Say, yes, it is. Yep. And you're just going into the, the quicksand of the past. And the last, of course, is don't label them out loud. Don't say they have a high conflict personality, personality disorder, or they're the abuser, or they're the alienator, or whatever. Is keep all those labels to yourself. You might be right, but those just trigger more defensiveness. So, those are the four forget abouts. And frankly, we're learning that that's an important place to start with what not to do.
0: Well, when you know what not to do, then there's nowhere but up. But I want to go back to that point about self awareness. You know, a lot of us who are not high conflict will say to somebody who is high conflict or want to say, why can't you just and The more you start to understand about personality disorders or high conflict personality, it's not a a won't, it's literally a can't. Like I've learned that someone who is unable to be self-aware is not choosing to be in this like bubble of (laughs) ignorance is bliss. They really cannot connect the dots. Can you speak a little bit more to the science of that? Because I think if people start to understand this better, they'll carry empathy with them into these situations and understand it from the inside out.
1: Yeah. So this is really what we're seeing. And, and I think the key word you just use is empathy is empathy is something that connects us to other people. We can picture being in other people's shoes. And there's a lot of early childhood sci- science about how you learn that. Much of empathy is learned actually from having a relationship with one or more parents who shows empathy. Empathy is a reciprocal process. You show empathy, the other person feels it and they show empathy. And there's this kind of synchronized relationship that in the first five years of life, you know, 75, 80% of people have that secure relationship and secure attachment. But there's a significant number of people have an insecure attachment. They don't have that empathy connection, that synchronized give and take, uh, serve and return, some people mm-hmm. call it, it's like a tennis ball. When this comes at you, you need to send it back. You need to respond, be reciprocal. So if you don't have that, then, then you don't know how to do that very well. You haven't learned that. And many people with personality disorders are found to have had insecure attachments in early childhood. So they really didn't learn how to have a close relationship. Now, they might be brilliant at their job. We see brilliant lawyers, brilliant doctors, brilliant you know accountants, all of this who have high conflict personalities because they can't handle close relationships. And one sign is they often don't have many friends or many real friends and it's sad. And that's, I think it's easy for me to have empathy for other people because it's somebody else's situation. Yeah, own, it's hard harder yeah. to have.
0: Them. Yes, absolutely. But I think in, in time, if you have this person in your life for a long period of time and you start to see that their patterns are the same with everybody and not just you, you can't help but think, wow, it must suck to be stuck in a, a thought pattern of it's it's everybody else. It's not me. and And just kind of being your own worst enemy. And that's where I find I have the most empathy for people like that.
1: Yeah, I think, and and you can develop it, especially if you can step back and go, you know, I'm happier. It's ironic, but as a family lawyer, sometimes at the end of the case, my client would tell me, you know, my ex says they wish that, that I had been their lawyer. Because my clients tend to feel better about themselves by the end of the whole process because of what they've learned and the insights, including that the other person's miserable rather than evil. And that's an important step. doesn't necessarily come quickly, but yeah. it, it really helps help you feel better, too.
0: Now, when you're in the middle of the divorce process and you're not a high conflict individual, and this one person is just doing anything they can to make your life hell, it is definitely going to be hard to have empathy. So maybe we're talking more about like years past, but in the middle of it, you know, so much of what I hear from my clients is I'm not going to survive this. You know, I'm I'm willing to amicably get divorced. He is not. How, what am I supposed to do? And Obviously, that's a loaded question because there's so many factors that go into answering that appropriately. But generally, what are you supposed to do?
1: Well, in, in terms of if, if you end up at court, I give a whole set of advice for that that comes with my book, Splitting. And I think we've talked about that some in the past. So I think you need to have a two-track approach. Really try to negotiate and settle your case. Make really good efforts at that while always being prepared. For you may end up in court and have to pr- talk to somebody else, explain to somebody else, persuade somebody else to see what's happening. So, I think what really helps is building your support system, having good, good counsel. If you can, have a good family lawyer who can, you can communicate with. People say do they need to know about high-conflict personalities. And I say some do, some don't. But most important is that you can communicate. And get a therapist for support. And have friends, but don't burn them out. right um, <laughs> yeah. So a lot of it's just pacing yourself, getting organized, taking things step by step, not exhausting yourself right away.
0: Yeah, I mean it's hard, you know, like I said in the beginning, you're making the most emotionally charged decisions of your life and then when you have somebody making it that much more difficult, you do need I in my opinion you need good counsel who's not going to instigate. You know, a lot of people think they need the shark. I always say that's the worst approach with a high conflict ex. Um you're nodding, so I know you agree. <laughs> yes. And and you need to have a therapist and or coach or both if ideally because You need someone who can help you process the emotions and somebody who can walk you through step by step of the process, which really isn't your lawyer's job from the emotional standpoint.
1: Yeah. And I do think nowadays that that divorce coaches are playing a bigger and bigger role and can be more um, available even than therapists so that you can use your therapist for deeper knowledge, emotions, skills, awareness of personalities and such. Um, Whereas your coach can really help you through some of the day-to-day struggles and help you not get stuck in your own emotions so that you can avoid escalating the other person and just deal with them successfully.
0: Right, and so here's another question I have, because a lot of women, will find themselves being badgered during the divorce process by their exes. How could you ask for this? How could you claim this? How could you? How could you? And they're almost trying to strong arm them into changing their minds about reaching a settlement or what they're asking for. And this is where I think your techniques for communication come into play. Can you talk a little bit about BIF and the ear method?
1: Yeah. So BIF is our written method to keep things calm and probably our most used method. And BIF stands for brief, informative, friendly, and firm. And we happen to have a a book that came out during COVID. Um, It's been out a little over a year now, BIF for co-parent communication with 28 sample uh, email correspondences or text correspondences. And the idea with it is you don't react emotionally. They may say, you're stupid, I can't believe that you ever would ask for such a thing. And and, you're immoral, incompetent, stupid, all these things. And so you feel like responding and saying, I'm not immoral, I am competent, I'm not stupid. Forget about all that. Just be brief, like a paragraph. Informative, some bit of information. That maybe they have backwards, but don't say you have it backwards. Mm-hmm. Just say you may not be aware. Mm-hmm. You know, the deadline for signing up for soccer is Friday, so we need to discuss it and agree. Mm-hmm. Um, something like that, so that it's factual, it's just totally objective, not emotional, not defensive, not argumentative, just some bit of information. It's friendly, like you might say, thanks for letting me know your concerns. And then um, it's firm in that you don't feed the hostilities. And it takes a bit of restraint. But with written correspondence, you have time to do that. Some people say, wait 24 hours. If it's a text, maybe you need to respond today, but still take like 10 deep breaths and then do a BIF response. And if you can, have someone else look it over.
0: Absolutely. And that's the thing is like, there is no emergency to these responses, unless like the safety of your children are in question. We, I think we emotionally feel, we if we get a response out faster, we're going to squash the problem more quickly. And taking that time to put your phone down, walk away, calm yourself down, and then come back with a response, you're able to apply that BIF method a lot more easily.
1: Yeah. And we figure we've reached a half a million people with our books and seminars with this method. And just about everyone that learns this teaches at least one other person. So we think we've reached about a million people with this method. It's just so effective with practice, it gets easier and easier. And today I'm hearing more and more where one person, usually the reasonable person, is sending out Biff responses and the other person who's been sending hostile emails starts responding the same way and they don't even realize
0: it's a technique. Yeah, when you pair the Biff with ear, which you'll get into, it's yep. like you gain this sense of control, not because you're trying to control the situation, it's a control over yourself that you feel so good about, because nobody ever goes to bed at night feeling great having lashed out at the person who has emotionally upset them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you feel good and it's less likely you're going to get another hostile email back. So Mm -hmm. when you go to bed at night, you feel good about yourself and you're not as worried about the next thing you're going to get. So yes, let me tell you about ear statements. So ear statements are for discussions. So like we're having on Zoom or a phone call or in person. And ear statements show empathy, there's that word again, attention, and respect. And any of those three. So you can say something like, I can understand why you'd be concerned about that. That's an important decision we need to make. Rather than saying, What? How dare you? Yeah. <laughs> attention. Attention is, you know, I. I want to understand, tell me more. I want to understand your point of view. And respect is, I respect your work. I respect your relationship with our daughter. I respect your time. I respect your effort to solve this. Look for something that you can feel that you want to reinforce because this helps you connect. And when you can connect as human beings, things calm down a lot more. So it's, it's us against the problem, not me against you.
0: Hi, everyone. I've now added courses to my website because you know what? There can never be enough information out there as you're navigating divorce and co-parenting. Am I right? So if you're just thinking of getting divorced and don't know where to start, I have the perfect course for you. It's called It's Time to Leave My Marriage. Now what? And it gives you all the steps from what questions to ask your lawyer, to when to even reach out to a lawyer, how to break the news to your ex and your family, and most importantly, how to handle it with your kids. My other course is how to safeguard your relationship with your children when you're dealing with a high conflict ex spouse. You know, if you have someone who's going to badmouth you in front of the kids. All of this is important stuff to know. So head on over to my website, momsmovingon.com, and check out the courses tab today. How is it already 2022? Wow. Well, you know what that means. In just a few short weeks, my first book, Moms Moving On Real Life Advice for Conquering Divorce, Co parenting through Conflict, and Becoming Your Best Self will finally be out in stores. But it is available for pre order now. So don't forget to grab a hold of that because for everybody who pre orders, I'll be holding a special Publishing Day event just for you. Email info at momsmovingon.com for more information. You said something in this podcast that I listened to you on that was really important. Our high conflict people in our lives choose a target of blame. They need to have a target of blame. And they also just really want to be heard. Like this is all coming from a place of, I want to be seen and validated and in control. And so when they feel that they've been given a little bit of, I don't know, patting on the back or I hear you, I see you, I validate you. It disarms them tremendously.
1: Yeah, and it's the way our brains work. When, when we see adversarial faces, hear adversarial language, it escalates our defense mechanisms. When we hear empathy, when people are open to us, interested in hearing from us, it reduces our defense mechanisms. That's how you know. You know, human beings and, and infants, we go way back communicating much more emotionally than with words mm-hmm. and so you know 80 or 90 percent of communication is the nonverbals. so if you can look interested uh nod your head and go I-, I want to understand tell me more that just calms things so much and with i mentioned we have a book calming upset people with e-a-r yep and it's got about 30 examples also of conversations. It's all types of conversations, parent-child, co-parents have an easy one over, arguing over where the child's gonna play soccer. And, And I demonstrate in it how either parent at any time can turn with an ear statement, can turn it into a cooperative conversation.
0: And I have to tell you, it truly works. I've used it in my own life. I work with my clients, You know, they buy the books and, and then we, we practice implementing these methods in their own daily conflicts that they have. And it really truly works and that's beautiful. Now, there's a few things I wanna clear up for listeners while I have you here because while I'm not a mental health professional yet, I can say in doing what I do, more often than not, people are labeling their ex-spouses and like totally misdiagnosing them. Everybody's ex-husband is a narcissist, which we know is an overused term right now and is a real mental personality disorder that we don't have the ability to diagnose as, you know, average civilians of the planet. I don't like labeling people for the fact that, A, it's not nice. It's it's You wouldn't just walk around calling somebody an alcoholic, you know, who can't help their alcoholism, right? And also, it doesn't change anything. You still have to find ways to work with this person. But can we speak a little bit about the fact that you're more likely dealing with someone who's high conflict or has other traits of a personality disorder that isn't quite narcissism?
1: Yeah, that's why in many ways, we adapted the term high conflict personality because it's not a diagnosis and it can include a wide range of possible diagnoses, and once you see someone has a high-conflict personality, then you adapt your approach. That's the four forget about it and use Biff and EAR instead. So the diagnosis isn't important in many ways. When you're dealing with someone, as long as you just think they might be high-conflict, mm-hmm. you use these tools. And if they're not high conflict, these tools are fine also. Mm
0: -hmm. So
1: we've really simplified it. So you don't have to go, well, does he have narcissistic personality disorder or just some narcissistic personality traits? Mm -hmm. If, If I'm a mental health professional, which I am, diagnosing somebody, that's an issue. You know, do you diagnose with a disorder or do you just say traits or features? But you don't have to do that to use all of this stuff, mm-hmm. and that's that's the key. Now, I think what's happening is people are trying to defend themselves, protect themselves, say, from someone who they think has narcissistic traits. So they say, you're a narcissist, or he's a narcissist, or she's a narcissist, and it's to, to protect themselves, but that's not gonna protect you, it's just gonna escalate. Mm-hmm. And that's why we say, if you go into family court, the judges don't want to hear those terms. Right. You know, (laughs) I've diagnosed my husband and he's a narcissist. And the husband said, and I've diagnosed my wife and she's a borderline. It's like, it tells the judge nothing useful.
0: Every client who comes to me will say, I know you don't like labeling people and you don't like overusing the term. NPD, narcissistic personality disorder, but for real, my ex is really a narcissist. And I'm like, okay, so, but like, how does that change the situation that you're in? You know, it doesn't. But I think what people need to understand, well, I'll have you explain it. Is every high conflict person a narcissist? Is every high conflict?
1: No, not every high conflict person is not a narcissist. It's one, we talk about narcissistic HCPs, antisocial HCPs, borderline HCPs, paranoid HCPs, and histrionic HCPs, because they often overlap with those personality patterns. Mm -hmm. We want people to know they exist and to perhaps recognize if someone has a pattern that looks like a personality disorder, the number one thing to realize is they're not going to change. That's what a personality disorder is. It's an enduring pattern of dysfunctional interpersonal behavior, essentially. Mm-hmm. And so, that's what you've been saying from the start of this podcast: is you have to realize you're not going to change the other person, mm-hmm. and that's the most useful piece of information. If you think your partner has a personality, same strategies. Yeah. You know, it doesn't mean they're bad, evil corrupt, immoral. You might think all those things, which you can keep them up here. But for practical purposes, all that matters is if they're a high conflict person, that means they're unlikely to change. And some do, I want to say, but that your strategies have to be you know, different.
0: I don't want to give people false hope, but you did speak about, uh, I think it was a female client uh, on this podcast that I listened to who actually committed to work through her borderline personality disorder and made like great strides. And I found that so inspiring, but I don't want people to listen to this and think, oh my God, my ex-partner with a personality disorder is gonna go change. It, It doesn't happen, but it is possible, right?
1: Yes, it's possible, but I say it's rare. What's interesting, borderline personality disorder is one of the most hopeful now for treatment But the trouble is with a personality disorder, the person can't see it.
0: Yeah, the lack of Mm self-awareness.
1: Yeah. But some people are starting to go, "I, I have some of that pattern. And with information on the internet, they see that. And so I've worked as a therapist with many borderline clients who are able to say, I realize I have this pattern of behavior and I'm working on myself. And that's the key, because that's that they're halfway there. And people can outgrow the diagnosis with good skills. And that's where there's a method DBT, dialectical behavior therapy, for borderline personality disorder, that two to five years of that method, people do outgrow, can outgrow Mm -hmm. the personality disorder. The problem is if they're also a high-conflict person, that means they focused on targets of blame, they're not going to ever make that shift to working on themselves. Right. And so what I see in high-conflict family court cases is the judge wonders, should I be ordering this person into DVT? And my question is, if they're preoccupied with the other person as their target of blame, they're not going to change. They're not open to. The people that change and grow are generally in mental health settings and have realized they have a problem and they want to change. Uh, High conflict people, by definition of preoccupation with the other person, that keeps them from changing, which is sad because they could.
0: They could. It's sad. It's that's, it's again, it's that empathy of thinking, I know this person could live a great life if they could only see how their behavior impacted other people. Speaking of impacting other people, we haven't even spoken about the children yet. So for a lot of moms who are just trying to do their best and are met with this resistance at all turns, they continue to be the target of blame for their ex-partner. Their constant worry is, how is this affecting my children? Will my children inherit the same kind of behavior? And you know, genetics are genetics, obviously, that you can't help. But what are some ways that you can help your child work with their parent who is like this with also, while also trying to ensure that they don't take these behaviors and, and start passing them on around to the people around them?
1: Yes. So we have, because you know we're into methods so we, we developed a method we call New Ways for Families, which teaches four big skills. And parents can teach these skills to their kids just as part of everyday life. We call them the four big skills for life. And these are flexible thinking, managed emotions, moderate behavior, and checking yourself instead of blaming others. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited to say, if, if your listeners get um, the BIF for Co-Parent Communication book, its appendix B is a chapter or article titled, What to Tell the Children About a High Conflict Co-Parent. Wow. And what to tell them is, learn the four big skills for life teach them use flexible thinking that guy in the store was he using flexible thinking no he was rigid um that woman on tv is she managing her emotions no she's screaming and throwing things we're working on managing our emotions that way let's say their co-parent isn't very good at flexible thinking and managed emotions the child's going to go oh You know, dad's not doing uh, managed Mm -hmm. emotions, and you're not saying things about dad. Right. So you're teaching them these skills and that helps you help the kids for life. Really. It also helps you avoid being considered bad mouthing your co-parent.
0: Right. There's a fine line between kind of parenting them away from this behavior without saying, we don't want you to be just like dad or we don't want you to be just like mom. And that's important to keep in mind also. Yeah.
1: So like after a weekend um, with the other parent, they come back and you say, yeah, you know, dad wouldn't look at my drawing. I, I did this great drawing. He wouldn't look at it. He said, I don't have time for that. And, and I just felt really hurt. And so one parent who doesn't know about all of this might say, yeah, dad's a jerk. I remember when he <laughs> used to do that. That's not <laughs> now helpful. you know
0: why I'm not with him, honey. <laughs>
1: Right. Now you know what I went through. Instead, you want to say some people have a harder time with flexible thinking. They have a harder time paying attention to many different things at the same time. Some people mm-hmm. have a harder time. So you're never saying it's about dad. Mm-hmm. It's about the skill of flexible thinking.
0: So- but I really also like that, you know, helping them not put the blame anywhere else. My daughter comes home from school and she says you know, so-and-so made me cry on the playground. It was all her fault. I'll say to her, was it all her fault? Was there something you said or could have done differently that, you know, prompted her to say something hurtful? And I think it's so important because we're going to talk about narcissists. We don't want to create a world of people that are just constantly blaming everyone else. I think that is such an important skill for little kids.
1: Yeah. And that's a great message that you gave her is, you know, let's look at what's my part. Mm-hmm. Um in the problem and what I can do differently. And this is what I tell people. They say, you know, like, do I have a personality disorder or high conflict personality? And I'll say, ask yourself these two questions. If you can, then you don't have a personality disorder. First question is, what's my part in this problem? You know, I don't see 100% other people to blame. I see maybe I shouldn't have put myself in that situation Mm -hmm. or maybe I frowned or something. My part might be 2%, but I always have a part. The other is, actually let me back up, there may be some cases where I don't have a part in creating the problem, but I always have a part in solving the problem for myself. Mm -hmm. So let's say I'm 2% responsible. What could I do differently in the future that's the big question. And if I can ask, what's my part in this problem? What can I do differently in the future? Then I don't have a personality disorder because personality disorder, people don't don't change and don't reflect. And those two questions are about self-reflection and self-change. So that's really the key. I teach law students and they're you know, afterwards come up to me and say, I'm a little worried to have a personality disorder. Yeah. And I'll say, So you're you're reflecting on yourself and your concern. They said, Yeah. <laughs> and, and after this class, is there anything you're thinking of doing different? Oh yeah, there's several things I'm gonna do different. And I'm gonna say, Don't worry, you know. <laughs>
0: yeah. You're all good. Well I'll tell you, so many of us come out of toxic relationships, high conflict relationships, we we're, we're made to feel like the problem and you know yeah. We leave thinking we're the ones with the personality disorders and we have to also consider there's a lot of projection at play, but also when you're walking around worried about being the problem, you're most likely not the problem. And it's so comforting to hear you say that.
1: Yeah. Reflect on yourself. If you can reflect on yourself and try doing something different next time, you know, there's a real good chance you don't have any, you don't have these problems. (laughs)
0: Yep. Well, once again, this was so insightful and so helpful, both to me and I know for our listeners, every conversation with you is incredible. And that's why your books have impacted people the way that they have. I don't know that I could be the co-parent that I am without them. And it's just been so helpful for so many of my clients. So where can everyone find you and all of your books in the same place?
1: Well, highconflictinstitute.com www.highconflictinstitute.com. We've got books, videos, articles, consultations, all of that. And I might mention, I don't know if I mentioned this before, we now have a second website called conflictplaybook.com. No,
0: I didn't know this.
1: This has our 12-unit online uh, parenting class, uh, New Ways for Families, online. And we're developing other playbooks for individuals so that anyone can go and help themselves in different areas, in the workplace. And people tell us, you know, I think I do have a high conflict personality. Is there help for me? And so we're working on playbooks for people as well who reach that point of self-reflection.
0: I love so. that you're bringing people to that point. Somebody left me a comment on my Instagram today saying, sometimes I love your posts and sometimes I hate them because they make me realize what I'm doing wrong and where I need to course correct. But bringing that awareness is just creating such a lasting impact. And, and that's the best work ever.
1: Tell people, if you've got self-awareness, pat yourself on the back, even if the awareness is painful. Right, that's absolutely. It's a healthy sign. And you have a better future if you can do that.
0: Bill, thank you so much. Thank you for all
1: your good work too, Michelle.
0: Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for everybody listening. I know you probably like are just nodding your head in such agreement and relief and just hearing all of these amazing tips. If there's anything more you wanna learn from Bill or have questions for me about, you know where to find me. Happy to help and put you in touch. Otherwise, apply those methods, put yourself in the best and most informed shoes possible so that you can make the best decisions for your children. Thanks, everybody. Imagine a place to get all of the resources you need and deserve while going through the divorce process from legal and mediation tips to expert co-parenting advice and heartbreak healing words of wisdom. Imagine a place that offered weekly words of wisdom and inspiration curated just for you by me to help motivate you and make you feel seen throughout the toughest days of your divorce journey. Imagine if that place also provided you with the opportunity to connect with other moms who are going through the exact same thing as you. That place exists, and it's called the Moms Moving On Membership Community. With two membership options, you are guaranteed to find your village and thrive in this next phase of your life. Visit my website, momsmovingon.com and click on become a member to join our community now. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Moms Moving On. I hope you found today's episode to be helpful, inspiring and give you the advice you need to feel empowered and strong as you move on. Don't forget to come say hi on Instagram at the Michelle Dempsey and drop us a line if there's a specific topic or subject you'd like us to discuss. Thanks, stay strong.